Give us your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. <laughs> Welcome to Starfleet Academy Truins, yet another Star Trek podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael. I'm your co-host, Chris. Guest this week, uh, once again, friend of the show, Max Eddy. Hi, Max. Hi, guys. (laughs) (laughs) The theme of the show this week is the brown paper bag full of dog excrement that uh, William Shatner dropped on our doorstep uh, after setting a light. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And I stepped in it. I totally answered the door and jammed my foot in it repeatedly, even though I knew better. I don't know what I was thinking. You stepped in it and paid money for it. Oh, yeah. Should I talk about that? Yes. All right. So uh, not like a year or so ago, this movie was available for free on Netflix, provided you had a Netflix account. And before that, <clears throat> it was uh, free for Prime members on Amazon Prime streaming. But when I went to watch it this morning, while my partner was asleep at like 730 in the morning, I discovered that it is uh, not available on Netflix and that you have to pay $3.99 to rent it on Amazon. And it's not, it's not on Hulu. It's not any of the other places where the Star Trek movies are available for streaming. So someone out there understands that this movie is garbage and they just know that they're not going to make any money off of it. So they've put it behind a paywall for no reason. Well, um, they, yeah. uh, they, I think maybe they wanted to prevent the future harm that the film could cause. Oh, and the worst part about, the worst part about it, this whole experience was not that I had to pay for it. I mean, that was pretty annoying, but... The fact that I had to like look through four or five different services and see all the things that I could be watching that are infinitely better than this movie. So it was like, oh, here's all the other Star Trek movies. No, you can't watch those. And like, I need to turn on my PlayStation 4 so I can like go into Amazon Stream. It's like, you could play a fun video game or you could watch Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, you idiot. We yeah. are uh, generally, I feel like, pretty gentle and forgiving when it comes to Star Trek properties, but this film really is a fuming beaker of effluent filmic pollution. <laughs> oh, and, and I, it happened to me again. I, I said this in the in the, um, uh, the the motion picture discussion we had, which was lovely and polite, and didn't have the fuck word in it. But I can guarantee you, I'm going to say that a lot about this movie. <laughs> but the first ten minutes of this movie always trick me into thinking it's going to be good. Like that that scene where they're in the desert planet and there's the toothless John Malkovich is there and he's like <laughs> drilling holes in the desert. I, I don't know what the hell he's doing with his hole machine, but like that, that's what you do on the planet of intergalactic peace. Um, and that whole sequence where like Cybok rides up and, you know, it's all like Lawrence of Arabia coming out of the out of the, the heat haze. I'm like, maybe maybe this will be good. Maybe I was wrong all of those times. But no, no, no. it's to- total fucking garbage it's the worst movie it is one of the worst movies i've ever seen in my entire life um i do want to know if that's john malkovich in the beginning but i just I don't, don't think care it is it's, it's it michael up. berryman oh, of um, course of of the hills have eyes fame <laughs> the hills have eyes on the dirt clawed planet oh I mean, I, I think that's, like, straight off the bat, I can tell you one of the things I hate about this movie is that it is relentlessly cynical. Like, the, the whole idea of the planet of intergalactic peace being a shithole and that the only people who run it are, are like, David Warner, popular character actor who always plays an evil guy, and, <laughs> like, 
a poor a, a poor like hot lady who is cast as a Romulan who doesn't have a bra for some reason. And it's uh, a it's a planet that spaceships do not travel from or to apparently. Uh, so how did those people get there? Oh, and the, the David Warner says like we conned these people into going here. So already you have yeah. like the corrupt Federation is already like in play in this movie, and Alan and, and the purpose. Bit, yeah, and and the bit with there, there's like this machine that's like running a cheesy infomercial for the planet, and it's like promising all these lies about it. And I hate that machine. Like move that into Blade Runner because that's where that belongs. Like it doesn't belong in a Star Trek movie. There's so much stuff that doesn't belong in a Star Trek movie in this movie. I just don't understand. Like, if you're going to have a, a, a project where you have a peaceful planet with the Federation, the Klingons, and the Romulans, you can just do that for real. Yeah. There's, I mean, it makes absolutely no sense for this, this dirt planet uh, with no farming. I think it's, like, irradiated. Or it, it, like, this, yeah. like, this terrible place where people go to and they can't leave and they... Uh, lead miserable lives for no reason. It's I mean, the Hotel California in space. I was going to say it's the Australia, like 1900 of space or something. Like maybe in, you know, a couple of centuries it'll have gorgeous ocean views and dangerous spiders. I don't know. but I think it already has the spiders. It probably does. There's nothing... There's nothing good in here. Um, and like if, the if only you have a, if you ha- if the Federation has the capability of creating a Genesis planet, right? You think they would have a little bit of terraforming up until that point, right? And, oh, and by the time you get to TNG, you're like in seven in the seventh season of TNG. Like they go to a planet that's been it's like one of the first terraforming project and projects, and it's been there a long time. And the guy like, oh, we created this as a perfect replica of the Scottish Highlands. And so like, if they're already making like stupid theme planets like that, I'm pretty <laughs> sure they can make something fucking livable. Uh, and and uh, and there's like one city, and it's Moss Eisley. Like, what the hell? Oh. God. See, and there's like, uh, I, I didn't, like, you said you got tricked into thinking this movie would be good from the opener. And when I watched the opener, I was not tricked because I really hated it. It was kind of wanted... gorgeous, though. It's, well, it's like visually beautiful, but it's like, wh- who is this, like, laughing Vulcan asshole? Like,. <laughs> What is he doing there? And like, why, like a laughing Vulcan asshole. It's like, no, this is just a human man wearing ears. I don't buy it. (laughs) It's uh, Lawrence Luckinbill in his final uh, motion picture performance. He was in a couple TV TV movies after that. Um, That's too bad. I mean, I don't think he did. I don't think he did that bad. Like, cause as much as much as I hate this movie, like I don't want to get ahead of myself because there are things I like about this. No. But should we should we keep focusing on the hate? Because I want I, I mean, want to bring be a, up... there'll be a brief uh, brief <laughs> a, a, a brief period where we we go around the circle and we hold hands and and and, and sing row 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 your boat. I wanted to I wanted to say since I did mention Moss Eisley like there's the one city and it's really awful and there's the one bar in there with the three-breasted cat lady who like tries to kill Kirk later on and then in that bar they're playing this weird wet billiards game <laughs> I am wet gen- billiards 
I am genuinely curious about wet billiards because you're on this planet with like no water, but we still got some fluid for whatever the fuck is going on in here. Well, it's like you like, don't you don't have the fluid to give to the poor to drink. You have it so you could play wet billiards. Oh God, and. And you just, I want to talk to like the guys who are set dressing this. And it was like, we got to make this look like seedy and nasty, but also in the future. We're going to put some water in that billiards table. That don't make sense. <laughs> A bunch of assholes. I kind of like the bar scene. It was kind of fun. So do we, do we blame Shatner for that? Like, does, does he shoulder? Him, uh, a well, lot for it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, this really was a team effort of <laughs> really just fundamentally misunderstanding um, the franchise of Star Trek, uh, the characters, uh, how they interact with each other. Um, there were like there were outside difficulties. There was a writer strike. There was a teamster strike. Uh, which complicated uh, the production uh, when they were filming in Yosemite for that really strange shore leave in Yosemite <laughs> at, the, at, at the beginning of the of the, of the film. Um, this this is just kind of is a thing that happens sometimes with movies. I mean, I'm I'm surprised it it, it doesn't happen more often on a major film that in, still ends up being released. But it's just when you when it's such a committee thing where you've got producers and also the studio, which says no to a lot of things, they said they, they, they were operating this under some budget cuts. The next generation was filming concurrently. So they, they reused a lot of the sets. Whoa. I did not know that. That's they, really interesting. They built a brand new bridge, but um, the sick bay is the enterprise D sick bay. Oh. And they didn't alter it because they didn't want to have to re you know, unalter it to, shoot next generation next week wow oh god because i i try to when, when you watch a movie this bad and when you know that like a major e, or at least for me when i know that a major ego is behind it i'm like looking for like so what what was what did shatner do to fuck up this scene like he has all these like really melodramatic lines like i always knew i was gonna die alone i'm like fuck off kirk <laughs> and then and he's got all these like Every he's he's in just about every single scene in the movie, and every time he's there, he has like some zippy one-liner. Like <laughs> this is so full of like zingers. It it re actually reminded me a lot of the reboot, where it's just like this cocky jackass running around saying funny things for no reason. There are three story credits. There's uh, William Shatner, Harve Bennett, who um, wrote uh, some of the good movies. Uh, David Lowry, who I'm not familiar with, uh, who was a story and also has the screenplay credit. I mean, like, I was so curious about Shatner's intentions with this film that I almost read Tech War this morning. Like, <laughs> I, I was going to sit down and read Shatner's, like, weird sci-fi novel and see if there's, like, any overlap. But after watching The, the Rocket Boots... Like, I don't even know, like, how do we even talk about this movie? Because it's just like a series of bizarre set pieces and sort of like a, a horrifying foil to Kubrick's approach of filmmaking, where Kubrick's like, you only need eight things for a movie. You don't need a plot. Like, this movie has something like a plot and a bunch of holes and then just a bunch of really awful set pieces. There are, like, I mean, there are, there is a coherent sequence of events. Uh... <laughs> no, it's, it's coherent. It's just, it's just... 
I wouldn't it's, say it's, it's coherent. It's muddled, and there are different elements and different storylines that are like. I feel like it's like maybe like different movies jumbled together. Yeah. Like there's yeah. there's there's this whole thread of the the Klingon vessel that is pursuing and harrying them for no reason. And it gets through the barrier too. It like they, they they set up this big barrier that's like no one's ever been past this and the Enterprise just fucking waltzes past it and like, well maybe they're special. Maybe it's because Cybok believes or whatever. And then the the Klingon bird of prey is just there. Like oh, yeah, it just they... followed them through. How the fuck did that get there? They had a line attached to it like they were tubing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you, were, you were drafting behind the semi truck, yeah. but I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I guess I, guess I am uh, being conciliatory, and it's like, well, there's a lot of reasons, there's a lot of things why very talented people can make something really bad. It's just, it just, it just happens when you work by committee. But there's some, some really deep, deeply wrong things with the writing, and like you mentioned, the rocket boots, which is a really stunning. <laughs> stunningly awkward scene to behold um, both times it shows up yeah. both times it's uh, yeah uh, we need to establish those fucking rocket boots otherwise it won't make sense halfway through the movie so kirk is climbing el capitan in yosemite and it's really you know kind of a stunning shot the music is great actually like in this point like there's actually a new theme that they wrote for it, and it sounds fantastic yeah jerry goldsmith again behind him comes from below spock standing and he's on he's got these rocket boots on and he says something like like why are you why are you climbing this mountain and and of course because it's there or something trying to explain something about the human spirit and it's like what in what universe do like do like vulcans don't climb mountains now it's like the the (laughs) single geographic feature of their fucking home planet (laughs) <laughs> is that it's just a bunch of mountains and cliffs. Like, Maybe that explains why he doesn't give a shit about it. <laughs> I guess. And he's like egging him on. He's like, be one with the mountain, Captain. And I was like, oh, God. And then he has to save him. Like, like he almost dies. Kirk falls off a fucking mountain, and they have to save him in the rocket boots. And his response is, hey, Bones! Like, oh, stop oh. zinging. Just stop for two damn seconds. Oh, see, the problem with this film as if there are not 500 problems with this film. I have a list. You have a list. You have a bulleted list. The whole thing, like, from the get-go, I was thinking just, like, this is William Shatner's Star Trek fan fiction. Like, he wrote some fan fiction about how, like, he's like, okay, here's, here's me, Kirk, none of these movies have done justice to me, the main character who saves the day in every single film. So, I'm going to write a story about me. <laughs> and then he's like, he's he has a fundamental misunderstanding of all of the other characters. <laughs> uh, like, all of the primary characters, they're all just, like, fawning over Kirk for the duration of the movie. And there's these weird, like... I, 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 I wanted to jump in because there are these weird moments of actual contempt for like the Star Trek, like start like some of the pillars of what make a Star Trek episode. Like there's the um, there's the scene where he's going to do a captain's log, but the the log book, which is apparently a physical book with a giant tape recorder in it, doesn't work. So he's like, oh, just forget it. And like 
and there's that a scene too where the the Klingon captain is he blows up a Voyager probe, yeah, um, just for the hell of it. And it's sort of like both of those scenes are like giant middle fingers to like the audience. Like I'm sure they thought they were being like clever and making callbacks and then like putting a twist on it, but it's just like no, fuck you. Like all those things that you're used to in our in our movies, like we're not gonna do them for no reason. And we're also just gonna make a bad movie that you hate for uh. no reason. God, just that, that Klingon captain had no real discernible motivation, and then at and the very f- end, his whole the, the the their entire involvement was a moot point because they had yeah. another Klingon to go go to your room, <laughs> and he said, "Okay, I'm sorry, bye." Uh, <laughs> there, there is, however, there is a a Klingon woman on the bridge of that ship, which I was like, "That's cool," and then also she speaks perfect English because at one point they trick Kirk into thinking that they are Starfleet and I'm thinking about the next movie where Uhura apparently doesn't speak Klingon and I'm like wow this, like, by compare, like this, this is really really capable like Klingon woman on board this ship I'm like wow you guys did some really really good hiring good HR Klingon guys you, well, the, well done the thing about those Klingons is like they didn't even seem like proper Klingons like yeah, right. Their makeup was yeah. really weird, and like yeah, this costumes after, were weird. They had like they had like they were currently shooting Next Generation, where they established you know you know what Klingons look like, and they just had like kind of one like perfect like ridge in the directly in the center of their forehead. Their costumes were oh God, it's like just like shirts open down to the crotch. Like it was, <laughs> yeah, like and. They debuted that look for the Klingons in uh, uh, Search for Spock. So that's like two movies ago. You know this. Oh, this is, oh yeah. This is established, guys. Uh, yeah. And they they play with the set a little bit. Actually, like one little thing I noticed is that for in, in this one, you know, because never they never do a good job of establishing like what the inside of a Klingon bird of prey looks like because they change it every single time. <laughs> um, and this time there's a periscope. <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> But like I wrote down, I was like I'm okay with the periscope. Like I actually like that. Like that's cool. Oh, a thing that I like. Um, there's like a like an old like like captain's wheel on the bridge oh. of the Enterprise. Yeah. yeah, that's like really stupid and really cool. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the whole thing. Like, and that really ties in well with uh, the discussion you had with Mark Popham last week. Academy Truants episode three, money and currency. Oh, you guys talk about currency because like Kirk, one of Kirk's big things is that he is obsessed with an authenticity that he can't find in his own like post scarcity culture. Like in, uh, in, I think it's the third, one of the movies bones brings him his reading glasses and you see the inside of Kirk's like 1970s love hut. Oh yeah. And it's very weird. It's very weird, but it is also like full of old sailing ships <laughs> and like bells and, and big wheels like that. And in this movie, you know, he talks about like he climbs a mountain without gravity boots and without rocket sleds and whatever. <laughs> um, so it, I think that they do touch on like that is one aspect of the film that I'm like, OK, no, that's that's good characterization. Like we get that Kirk has this thing that he's like not comfortable in this world. And, and I wonder if maybe that's what like Shatner was trying to play up. Like no one, no, no one uh, uh, who's watching this film should really be comfortable in the Star Trek world where like. I know I've said this before, but we're like, you know, you sit around and I don't know, you like rewrite Mozart concertos for alien flutes for fun. Like that's, 
It's just so unapproachable. <laughs> no, you go and you uh, role play on the holodeck. They don't even have holodecks yet. Nope. You just life become is... a dilettante wastrel. <laughs> oh, it's a great it. life. It's a great life. Underrated. Oh, yeah. Who's the the Paul Verlaine of <laughs> Star Trek universe? Oh, there's some other like some other notable um, stuff. I I was reading a while ago about like the history of replicator technology, and um, they established that in the original series they have food replicators, but they're like super super basic and they don't do very much. And I think this might be the first time you see a food replicator that actually like works effectively, and it's the one that um, Spock uses to make a marshmallow for their cookout. <laughs> Like critical moments in Star Trek history, I, I think maybe possibly. Um, yeah, say too too bad because it's not canon. <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie's not canon. That, that brings up another thing. Like this movie, um, Uhura and Scotty sort of have this weird romantic relationship bubbling in the background. That has not, and I, like it does not appear again, does it? Like I was trying to remember. It's kind of cute. Like I I kind of like them oh. as as a couple. Oh. I kind of like. Know. I felt like it made no sense. I found it. I don't know. Hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst thing that is done to Nichelle Nichols in this movie. No. Uh, you want to bring up your least favorite scene, Max? I mean, I'm not even sure if this is my least favorite scene, but this is the scene that made me like the first time I watched. I had to stop because there's a, a bit where they they have to distract. They have to distract some of Cybok, the renegade Vulcan's uh, underlings, so they can steal their, and they're not horses, they're going to steal their blue unicorns <laughs> so that they, can, that they can ride up to, the, uh, to Paradise City, the only city on the planet. And of course, it has the word Paradise Lost written on the front of it. Anyway, uh. Kirk is like, we have to distract them, but how? And then this weird singing floats across the desert. And then Nichelle Nichols is nude and doing a fan dance on top of a dune with the mat with like a fucking moon behind her, uh, and all of the little, all of the little like underlings and rags are like, oh, she she's naked, she's naked, and they like run up the hill and then they get caught, and and the, the only good thing about that scene is that Nichelle Nichols, her character Uhura, gets in a zinger, with, at that point, which is when they when they capture all of these little underlings, she's like, "I've always wanted to play to a captive audience." And I'm like, "Ah, oh. like it's not enough, but at least it's something." And where did they get the Where did they get the palm fronds to do her There's fan no dance? There's no plants on Dirt Clod Planet. But Michael, you were saying that that wasn't Shatner's idea. Yeah, we we had thought that was Shatner's idea. Uh, apparently, it was uh, this David Lowry guy. And I think he mm. just said it as a joke, and the producers were like, "Oh, that's a great idea. Let's let's do that." I'm like, I guess we're doing this now. Uh... Like she's, Nichelle Nichols looks great in this movie, but like it's just so demeaning. Yeah, she's so like her character is so much better than this. Like she deserves better than this. It's like it's one thing to acknowledge that, like she's hot, but it's another thing to like. Uh, this is like that scene in 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 um what is it uh, uh, the, that awful one that just came out into darkness <laughs> where where like they just have a woman in her underwear for no reason at all like what the hell well they're trying to make Star Trek sexy ignoring the fact that it's already sexy it's in its of, own way yeah like it's just full of sexy dudes like running around in their spaceship like what the hell <laughs> yes, I, I hate it into darkness because I'm a bitter nerd and I hate movies about hot people having adventures <laughs> so how do you watch any Star Trek 
they're all so attractive. Like, we went back to watch um, some episodes of the original series, like, the the first couple episodes, and it's just like, yeah, everyone's wicked hot. What What's the deal? I don't know, man. And, like, you want to talk about sexy stuff at the end where they meet God. Or, That's and not if, sexy. If, you are, if you're listening at home, I know we just went from this is a shitty movie on a dirt cloud planet to when they meet God. Well, they <laughs> did you forget about the part where they shoot God? <laughs> with a disruptor weapon oh my god it's so bad but at the at the end where they where they're talking to the guy the weird satan thing that's like maybe it's god maybe it's not he's like you have a starship bring it closer <laughs> i wish to join with it like he wants to fuck the enterprise oh. like he's gonna put his weird god dick in the enterprise and like ride it out of here like, it's like what Oh, I think what the okay, hell? so you could make the argument that the Klingons do serve a purpose in this movie because they're the ones who shoot the disruptor and kill God. Well, they do except, kill God. Wait, wait, but, but, <laughs> the, but the Enterprise previously fires a torpedo at it and it doesn't do anything. So you could have just had that work. <laughs> yeah, why does, why does the torpedo not work, but disruptors do work? So if we wanted to get all apologists on it, I will make I, I will make an attempt at an apologist argument. So I, <laughs> I think that the, the, the photon torpedo clearly does not hit its target like dead on. Like, I don't think you can you know, you can't target an exhaust port that's only two meters wide from orbit. Um, and I do think it's a little bit ridiculous, by the way, that they're able to just like jump and get away from a photon torpedo. <laughs> These are things that blow up spaceships. Yeah. But the, the bird of prey is smaller and it can actually fly in the atmosphere and I, I I think that that's sort of why it works better maybe if you really wanted to go with it like okay they can get right there and they can, they can shoot they God can, at point blank range it, with that, the disruptor yeah, shoot God that in his dumb a, head that is a shellac of internal consistency that <laughs> explains but does not excuse the bad writing <laughs> I, I, we really do need to talk about God, but before we get to God, and I know we're running out of time, but like we really need to talk about Cybok sharing their pain. Uh, like, everything about Cybok is wrong. Like, but he's a the biggest problem. Go ahead. What's Go ahead. He's he's not a real Vulcan. Like, there's nothing about him that says to me that this guy is a Vulcan yeah, at that, all. I mean, I guess that's what they were going for, but also like, don't. But it makes no sense. Like, if he's supposed to be Spock's brother. Half brother. Half brother. <laughs> and he's supposed to be a full Vulcan, not even a half Vulcan oh. like Spock. Then it makes no sense whatsoever that he would be so completely different from the entirety of his surrounding culture. So I'm, I'm going to have an unpopular opinion and say that I, I think that under completely different writing circumstances, um, a foil, a Vulcan foil to Spock would actually be really interesting. And there are things about Cybok that I that I like, um, and I, I do like that there is like the potential for that to play off each other, but it just doesn't. And but what bothers me way more than Cybok's existence, because like that's a thing you could do in like a bottle episode on TNG or yeah, some shit maybe. like that. But but like what bothers me about it is that he's. In the beginning, he's like, share your pain with me to, to Desert John Malkovich. And then all of a sudden, like, Malkovich is his follower. And that's what he keeps doing. He's like, 
Ahura, share your pain with me. Scotty, share your pain with me. And they all and just they like kept... start blindly following him. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not brainwashing them. I'm just like letting them face their fears. And then they join me. It's like, it's like they go skydiving with Cybok. And then they're just like so pumped from the adrenaline <laughs> that they just want to do whatever Cybok wants to do. And then that like whatever influence he has over them is just never addressed again. Like you need to choose either, either like he is showing them something so perfect and beautiful and important that they are willing to follow him or that he's just straight up brainwashing them. You can't like do both. It just doesn't yeah. work because it's a huge, huge plot hole. Yeah, I, I felt like he was definitely brainwashing them that like what <sighs> he was saying was not accurate. Yeah. Well, I don't, like the thing about that relationship, yeah, it's like they hijacked the Enterprise and Shatner refuses his mind meld. But they eventually are like, okay, truce. And it's like, yeah, well, why? okay, that's, I guess we're, truce we're right. going together now. It's like, what, like, it's like, oh, we have to get them to the planet. But how do we do that? I guess we'll, we just will. And it's like the middle of the movie with a whole lot of standing around and looking at things. Just put that shithead in a holding cell. In the escape-proof holding cell. In the escape-proof that, holding cell that is... That was, that was a goddamn set piece <laughs> that we really fucking needed, wasn't well, it? Like, what, what, was, what was the holding other holding cell made of? Like, the one that isn't escape-proof. The one that uh, facilitates like, escapes. It's like balsam and tinfoil. Like, it's just, it's just a box, and you kind of, like, roll a guy into it. He rolls right out the back, and it's just like, well, he escaped. <laughs> I, I think that whole scene with the escape-proof... Um, I think that all exists just so that Shatner can have the scene where he's like, I need to sit down and presses a button and a toilet pops out of the wall and he sits down on it. Like, <laughs> I think that is the whole reason that is there. I, I can't, I cannot figure it out any other way. Side note, uh, Lawrence Luckenbill, who plays Cybok, is from my hometown, apparently. Oh, that's he's lovely. He's from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Oh, wow. So well. he's probably the most famous person. I'm going to say he's the most famous person from Fort Smith, Arkansas, because the only other person is... Isaac Parker, who was known in his time as the Hanging Judge. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, you guys mean after you, of course, like the we premier are the, podcast host. Oh, yeah, we're the most famous. I'm not from there. <laughs> so it's just Michael. It's just Michael. I like it. We're all three of us from equally podunk towns in different parts of the country. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, on the subject of Cybox, like, share your pain thing, though, uh, I actually really liked those. I, I really like the scene, and it's the really the only part of the movie that I like. Everything about it I like, where I, I like, it's not just like I like a piece of it, and I, I like how it's done, I like how it looks. Like, you could take this out and put it in a different movie, and it would be okay. Um, but the scene where Cybok does the show me your pain thing to uh, Spock and Bones, Bones is in I mean, I love Bones already, but like this moment where he he kills his father, he remembers um, doing a, a doctor assisted suicide sort of thing with his with his father who was ailing. Um, like that's a really powerful moment. And I, I like Spock's birth, too. And they even say it right in the film, like we these characters can't function without each other, but they still don't share everything with each other. Like they really do have inner lives and inner pain or even inner joy whatever yeah like they aren't they really are more than just the cardboard cutouts that can't work without each other 
Well, like except they are in this movie cardboard cutouts that are assigned <laughs> plot points and emotions and motivations that don't make sense to them. I, I mean, I can't, I can't argue with that. I just, I do love, I, I love anytime they let DeForest Kelly off the chain. But then again, like one, one of the big problems with him in this, this film is that they, they have these scenes with him where he just like, like violently rockets back and forth between emotions where it's like, I'm wondering if he's drunk or on Coke during it. It's like really weird for bones or he's like, they're sitting around the campfire. It's like chatting. And then all of a sudden bones like, you really piss me off. Kirk human life is too important. Oh my oh, god! It's, like to be fair, Kirk pissed me off in this movie too. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bones is always just the voice of the audience, and in this time, it's like really chillingly accurate. <laughs> yeah, apparently he um, he went into like uh, like seclusion for a while because he was really close to his dad, and uh, that that scene really affected him a lot. Hmm. You mean DeForest Kelly did yeah. that? Oh my goodness! Oh wow! Like, George, the hardest great, part I about mean, this movie for George Takei was learning how to ride a horse. <laughs> <laughs> He's on a horse for like all of two damn seconds. Why didn't they just get him a stunt double? Like, ah. Appa- I did read though. Oh, so ahead, yeah. Well, but um, like, see, we're we're putting a lot of blame at Shatner's feet. But um, uh, according to a lot of people, apparently he was a very pleasant director to work with. Really? I was just about to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've read about this. Is that like. Takei, who who's like had allegedly the most problems working with Shatner to the point where in in the film which follows this, my favorite, The Undiscovered Country, he's like, I don't want to have any scenes with Bill where I have to like talk to him. But in in this one, I, I read on Wikipedia, he was like, no, it was fine. Like Bill stayed out of our hair. Like he just told us what we wanted. We gave it to him, and it was fine. Like apparently he was a really like he was just a good director to work with. Yeah, which like so. that like that actually that that is a good director because like. Or maybe like like pre auteur when before the director was just kind of like a shop steward, mm. and like there was so much pressure from the studio and so much like budget hassles and the strikes and everything, and like his job was to keep everybody calm, to keep them from feeling under pressure, and to just give them a space where they can act and be creative without being stressed out by the outside things, and it's like that that like. That to me speaks of him being actually a good director. I wonder, like, if if we want to keep hating him, we could just say like it's total inexperience and he just didn't know what he was doing and didn't know how to like direct people. I would actually say that like a lack of direction seems like well, no, no, I'm going to take that back because everyone is consistently goofy in this movie. It's the story. Like, just... It's just it's the writing and the rewriting. Like it's just something something major went wrong in the editing or lack thereof. Well, the, I, th- I blame it all on the writing because, like, every scene has a dumb joke in it. Like, and ones that don't need to be there. Like, where Sulu and Chekhov are lost in the woods and they're pretending that they're in a blizzard so that Uhura won't make fun of them. Or when uh, Scotty busts uh, Kirk, Bones, and Spock out of the inescapable jail <laughs> and gives them directions on how to get to where they need to go and then turns around and says, I know the ship like the back of my hand and walks right into a pipe and knocks himself unconscious. Like, why what is like, why did you why did who wrote this I, I feel like just Shatner couldn't help himself or whoever was writing it like couldn't check him and be like you know we really don't need to have something stupid happen every 30 seconds or maybe like, this David Lowry guy is just like a piece of shit the guy we don't know. maybe that's the problem 
I blame you, David Lowry. Are you out there? Are you alive? If you're alive, this is your fault. If you're dead, I'm sorry. Well, um, I can check right now. David Lowry is currently living. Uh, uh, I don't know, like, thinking about it, just thinking about my experience of watching the film, and sometimes, like, these insistently punctuated moments of silliness can be kind of like a cathartic relief from a movie that really is very kind of, for the most part, listless. It's a, yeah. it's a movie that is at the same time wacky and just meandering and pointless. And it's just, yeah, a whole lot of standing around and looking at things and characters who are at loggerheads with each other suddenly just being like, well, okay. The Klingons just, just being like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, it, like, I'm just sighing so hard over it was here. Just, it was just... <laughs> very unfocused and like when I, like think about like thinking about it like like spock like shooting through the prison uh with his rocket boots like that that, that at least gave me just like a laugh of just exasperation <laughs> <laughs> uh i i mean everything else aside like this cyborg uh, aside the silliness aside like what really hurts the writing of this movie is it has a a premise that just shouldn't be there, which is that they are on a mission to go to the center of the galaxy, which is apparently inaccessible, except for the two people who go <laughs> trying to do it this one time. It's just no um, one's given it a shot before. No, they they say like ships from there never come back, probes never come back, and like well, it's they make it God very takes clear. Them. God takes them, he puts them on a shelf. And uh, he looks at them fondly. Well, that's the thing. Like that's that's if you haven't seen the movie, you don't know that the whole point of this is that they go to the middle of the of the galaxy to this weird planet, and in that weird planet is this thing that calls itself God that has been talking to Cybok and like trying to lure him there so that he can. Because it turns out, of course, that it's not God. It's something that something that has been imprisoned there for like eternity and wants to break out and is going to use them as its vessel. And and the, the fact that there's a bit where, like, like a petulant child, Kirk goes, why does God need a starship? Like, like a 17-year-old kid, well, like, talking cocky. In fairness, but, we, the audience, had just said that when he said it. <laughs> I, I, that wasn't even on my mind. Like, I just, I just kept thinking, I was like, I wonder what the hell they're going to do. Like, because I was really expecting that when they got to the planet, there wasn't going to be anything there. And this was going to be a movie about, like faith in the future but instead they find richard dawkins the god delusion in the middle of the galaxy and then they have to like shoot it with a torpedo Aww. and god god by the way god is like oh i have so many different faces which is obviously a playoff of like you know the father of lies of satan mm -hmm. like having all these different faces but like when when he finally like settles on a, a form for them to look at after going through like a klingon one and a romulan one, god's like is this more acceptable and like my first thought was like god looks like an asshole <laughs> like who who is this bearded jack-off? And I really, like, in my head, I'm like, I really hope that each of them sees it differently. Like, like Cybok sees his god, and, and Kirk sees what he thinks god looks like, and Bones sees, like, his ancestor as played by Slim Pickens <laughs> as god. Like, that's, that's what I wanted. But, you know, they don't even give you that kind of a payoff. Uh like why is god in this like this is star trek well i, I think like, like, they, like in the in the first one v'ger in an original draft was like gonna be god or something and they're like well let's try this again 
This idea that wasn't good enough. This idea that no because, one liked. It's really, I mean, there's it's, no... It's just so sophomoric. It, it, like, it, has, it has no impact. It has nothing to say with, for anybody, for people who believe in, in, in God or, or people who don't believe in God. Like, there's no... Yeah. It, like, there's, there's no there there. And and like, I like I love it when in Star Trek they encounter the ineffable. And I will give this I will give this movie a modicum of credit for dealing with that because they don't say, oh, this is the thus and such creature which is made of photonic energy and was trapped here in like a beta wave loop or something. <laughs> they never, they never explain it. Like, I think this might be the only time in Star Trek where they just straight up encounter something that they don't understand at any level, and. That should be like that should be a thrilling tension where they they don't know what to do with it, but it just doesn't work because I, I honestly think they just forgot to explain it. Like I don't I don't think Maybe, it was intentional. Or, like they had to call it God, but it's like is this? But like but it's it's isolated, it, it's inscrutable, and it's like it talks mm-hmm. to Cybok, but like is this the God that talks to every religious person? They don't really ask that question or present it in a way it's like it's just this like it's it's like like you you could call it the q or whatever like but like calling it god like pretends like it's it's pretentious like it's it's like this yeah. subject of great human you know need and 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 study and 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 whatever uh, it's uh, and 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 it's like oh it's it's like this thing, like call it something else, call it the being, call it. Ugh. And maybe that's like the fundamental problem with this movie is that like they tried to tackle something as big as like our crew, the biggest badasses in the galaxy, go up the, against the only thing that can possibly meet, match up against them, God, <laughs> and like but they just don't have the philosophical or the writing chops to deal with it, and so they just fluffed out their movie with a bunch of garbage because. Because like th- this, this whole reveal that they're going after, they're going to meet God happens halfway through the movie. Yeah. And they don't actually meet God until like the last fifteen minutes, and then God shoots them with his laser eyes, <laughs> and then they they blow oh, up God. Yeah, like God shooting people with laser eyes was one of the really low points for me. I mean, you may as well just like cut to Zardoz at that point. Movie, like that would have made a hell of a lot more sense. The whole movie was a low point for me, but. Like, just especially that. And then, like, at the very end of the movie where they're, like, you know, like, Kirk and... Was it he talking to Spock? Like, they're, like, reflecting on it. And he's like, maybe God was inside of us all along. You know? Here, taps his chest. The human heart. I'm like, thanks, Kirk. We got it. Thank you. Yes. Yes. That worked. No, it's like, I just, like, groaned. And the... And there's a uh, Cybok as a Jesus figure. Like, he gathers these disciples. He enters Paradise City and, like, casts out the money changers, like, takes it over. And then he goes in this ship and he taught. And then it starts to get, like, really loose after that. Like, when Cybok is talking with Bones, Spurk, Spurk, Spock, and Kirk about their pain, it's like, okay, wait, so is this, like, the temptation of Christ and. Kirk wins because he refuses to go to therapy. Uh, and then at the end, 
where where Cybok faces off with God. And 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 I, I another thing I like about Cybok is that well, first off, I like that he changes out of his rags to go meet God. Like he puts on a clean tunic. <laughs> Go meet God. No, you, you go when you go to meet God. You are covered in shit. He looked good in his rags. Like he, he he's clearly wearing like the last thing that he had when he got kicked off Vulcan because it's like made of terry cloth with like weird gems stuck oh, in no, it. Ever- it's obviously Vulcan. And then he gets like he gets rid of those. I don't know. I was disappointed. I liked his costume. Yeah, every Vulcan loves to wear bathrobes. Like it's canonical. It's canonical. They. That's like the main clothing that you can get on uh, Vulcan. They're very comfortable. That, it is only logical. That's how. <laughs> and they're very absorbent on our hot, hot planet. But the, and the, the whole like Jesus metaphor like breaks down, and then it's why? Why would you even put that in there? So what? What is the end when your Jesus figure encounters God? Which like Jesus kind of does. I mean, he okay, so he's he's tempted. He's not tempted, but, you know, at the moment of his crucifixion, right before he's turned over to the authorities, Jesus is like, oh, seriously, like, do I really have to go through this? Like, is that the thing we're supposed to be getting when Cybok talks to God? Or did they just forget? (laughs) I don't, I wouldn't give them a ton of credit for, uh, like, trying to do some kind of elaborate metaphor. I think it really was just like, we can make him like Jesus. Well, we could make him not like Jesus now. Well, ugh. I keep piping in with trivia I, I got off of IMDb, but apparently he was inspired no, 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 by. No, um, He was inspired by '80s televangelists, so false prophets. And... Oh, I kind of love that. Actually, actually. Like, I love that reading of it. It's too bad that reading does not seem to be in the text of the film. Like because they make Cybok a hero. Yeah. That's the thing. Like he, if he's supposed to be an '80s televangelist, he should be like creepy mind control dude. He shouldn't be like. Well, he is a creepy mind control dude, but they try to play it as a good thing. He he well, mind controls Starfleet ending. Command into um, like reinstating money, <laughs> giving ten percent of it to him. <laughs> <laughs> I lo- I love this fan fiction you're writing right now. It's really this really works for me. Yeah, and they give him that. They give him like a, a a tragic ending. Like he he does his like I can't help but notice your pain. Share your pain with me, God. And then like I don't know, temporarily distracts God for them to hit it with a torpedo. It's it's really dumb. But they give him a hero's ending. That's that's the weird yeah, part. Yeah, it yeah, it's not a consistent metaphor. Uh, like if you're going to bother with a metaphor, at least be consistent. Yeah, and especially with one that they really like hammer home over and over and over again. Yeah. All right, is this the point where we talk about the things that we liked? I don't know. There, I don't there was nothing I liked. I like I liked Bones sharing his pain. I dug that. I hated every I did, minute that I watched this film. I I'm also disappointed because I, I one thing I like is I like the unknowable evil disguised as God, like hidden in the planet in the center of the galaxy. Like in a different movie, that would be so cool. It's like it's like, a cool concept that they just did not write well. It, I just don't think it should be in Star Trek. Like Voyager plays around with faith a little bit, and so does DS9. Mm-hmm. Where except in DS9, it's like very obvious. Like no, these gods are real. They're aliens, but they are also gods, and they are here. And they totally can see the future and shit. So, like, their prophecies are also real. And in, in Voyager, there's all these weird moments where 
they're actually fairly uncomfortable moments where Janeway, who's like all science, 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 which is part of the reason why she's a cool character, mm -hmm. will be faced with something with like science is not the answer. You should have had faith, Captain. And that it's weird, but it's like, okay, I see what you're doing there. But in this one, like, why, why this plot of all things? Uh, I don't Bad choices. <sighs> I guess the, the parting, the parting comment, the parting comment I have is I actually watched all the credits because I want to see who was in this movie. And uh, the character that plays God is credited as God in scare quotes, which is beautiful. Like, that's a final cap, I guess. Thank you for sharing our pain, Max. <sighs> Share your pain with me. <laughs> That's how we got him to do this show. You, I, I thought it was because you, you promised me I would talk about Ferengis and you tricked me with this awful garbage. No, I knew you had to get out of your system because you brought it up in two other like unrelated episodes that you've been on. So I thought, let's just let's just let's, let's just, just cover go, it. Yeah. Go deep so in there. True. And uh, so true. And I, I will say though, you know, you complained about them stare, standing around staring at shit in this movie. Like I will remind you that you said you loved that in the motion picture. That's because the motion so. picture's good. <laughs> Mm, I, I hate this so much more than the motion picture. Like, Good. I don't like the motion picture. I hate this movie. It is, man. It's a hateful movie. It is. Like, it is made, it, it feels like a hateful movie. Like, they hate what they're doing, and they hate that it's a Star Trek movie. They hate their audience. <sighs> I think they thought, I think Shatner thought this is what their audience wanted. Like, they want something new. They want us to, like, like go against the grain and be and be really different and play around with these ideas. I'm like, that's not why we watch a movie that has the same soundtrack in every film. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Big stinker in a line of um, uh, really good movies that we do like. So maybe next time we'll talk about one of those. <laughs> one of those good so. ones. <laughs> Well, um, yeah. Thanks again, Max. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. I love being here. Uh, do you have any plugs? Do you have anything you want to link to on the internet? Uh, yes, I would love. I would love to give some hair plugs to Brian Weekly, the surreal comedy podcast that I do with you two lovely people and uh, some other wonderful contributors. Uh, along with I haven't seen that, who uh, is headed by Whitney Reynolds and Mark Poffham, who has appeared on this show. Uh, and I was on there recently, so you should definitely go uh, listen to and that. So were where we. They, you were. I heard your episode. Uh, you guys were great. Thank you. And uh, because I'm here talking about Star Trek, I should also plug Mathem House, a, a zine written by very interesting people uh, in which I do have an article about uh, Ferengi culture, which uh, everyone should go and read right now. Okay. Well, thank you, Max. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Starfleet Academy Truants is produced by Chris and Michael with music by Michael. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, are we on SoundCloud? Yes. <laughs> find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And our website uh, is uh, Academy Truants uh, on Tumblr. And you can find us on Twitter at Academy Truants. Thanks for joining us this week. And remember, cadets, there's no smoking on the bridge. <laughs>